0: Welcome back to the 130th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including the story that came out over the weekend about Wagner rebelling against Putin's government, A interesting one talking about Republicans coming for tenure, and, of course, cryptocurrency. It broke 30,000, Bitcoin did at least, and is this a rallying point? It's been a while since we talked about this one, so it's going to be fun. And... We'll end today with our daily delight. A story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you believe the narrative or the media conversation that is coming out of Ukraine and the fight against Russia? Half the time, you know, I have no idea what to believe in general now imagine what happens when you're getting propaganda from both sides of either government in a war that is half a world away am i the only one that thinks you can't necessarily trust it are you having the same thoughts throw it down in the comment section i'd love to know what everybody has to say so let's jump into our first article which does indeed talk about this conflict but from a little bit of a different angle And then this one comes from Daily Wire. Wagner forces surround Russia's southern military district headquarters in Rostov, Russian media. So if you didn't see this breaking news, I believe it was in the middle of Friday, and I heard about it first about Friday night. I saw one or two things, and then I woke up, and I did a run on Saturday morning, and there was an entire podcast or more accurately, a a sit-down news show, but they turn it into a podcast. So we're going to call it a podcast where they discuss what was going on and how there was this push from the Wagner group to, hey, no, we're not putting up with your BS anymore, Putin. You are not serving the best interests of the Russian people. You're actually not serving our best interests. And obviously, you know, Wagner, they are a very self-interested group. They are a mercenary group, so if they feel like they've been what's the word here, violated, or they feel like their goodwill has been misused, if they feel like they've been manipulated, then they may turn on people. I don't know what Putin and the Russian government were necessarily thinking hiring them. Because even if, and there was a good point that somebody else brought up in the podcast, even if they are truly 100% loyal to Russia then they would have gone and joined the Russian military rather than being in a privately funded corporation that gets paid to be deployed around the world. What happens if your enemies pay them a little bit more money than you do? I mean, some of them may be very proud Russian people, and they would not defect against their own nation just because they're getting paid. But at the end of the day, their paychecks come in from all across the world, and if someone's offering you a little bit more money to go against the Russian government, especially when you hear some of the facts here that the CEO or, I guess, the leader of the Wagner Group was saying that, hey, Russia did some shady stuff here, then even the rank and file who may be more loyal to Russia may be willing to turn on them. So, you know, it's interesting to see this going on. Also, this could be a really minor thing, and it's just getting blown up by the Western media because they want to portray the Russian state as being weaker than it actually is. For all we know, Putin's gonna knock this out in a few days, or for all we know, it's just a small insurgency. Maybe there's a breakoff faction within the Wagner group. I don't, I don't know. That's the the weird thing about a state war going on across the world, which we actually have a lot of, hmm, how to put it? We have a lot of interest in one side winning. Let's put it that way. I think that's generous. We have a lot of interest in portraying a certain narrative. So even when we see this information coming from across the world, it's kind of hard to trust every single thing you hear because some things may be omitted by the Ukrainians who put out this information. Some things may be omitted by the Russian government when they put out information. So we have to tread cautiously here. And it's going to be a lot of speculating on this one. It's not going to be hard fact, except for a few of the statements that the owner of the Wagner Group made. So let's go to one of the first quotes from this article. Quote, Russian state-controlled media confirmed Saturday morning local time that Wagner paramilitary forces have surrounded the Russian military's southern district headquarters. Photographs from TASS said that PMC, Wagner fighters, and tanks standing, quote, outside the southern military district headquarters in Roscovodan. The New York Times later reported that the governor in the region asked residents not to leave their homes and to stay away from the area. He confirmed that the military forces belong to Wagner, end quote. So, yep, yeah, this is the basic setup. It looks like Wagner has basically taken over a certain segment of the town and the governor there's like, "Hey, okay. We understand that you are having a civil uprising in our in our state here. Uh so people can you just can you just stay home? Don't don't get involved." And it could be twofold. It could be, "Hey, I really want to protect my people here. I want to make sure my people don't get hurt if there's any infighting." I think that's the noble interpretation. The cynical interpretation is uh, no, don't go out and join them. Don't go out and protest with them over the Russian government or the Russian army's treatment of people in Ukraine or the Russian government's treatment of people in who might be anti-war within Russia. So, you know, there's a positive view, which is the governor's a good person, and there's also the cynical view that he's being told from the higher ups, hey, you better not let this escalate. So there's actually some quotes from the Wagner boss within this article that I think are important and shed a little bit more light on why he's doing what he's doing, or at least why the Wagner group is trying to draw attention to some very important issues in their mind. Quote, Yevgeny Prasidev, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, the owner of Russia's feared Wagner paramilitary group, announced in a statement Saturday morning that his forces were moving into the Russian city, quote, as of now, we have crossed state borders in all areas, Pigzenev said. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to try to get his name right from this point on. Progozen. Progozen. Pro According to Newsweek, quote, border guards came towards us and hugged our fighters. Now we're entering Rostov. Units of the Ministry of Defense, in fact, the conscripts who were thrown to block our path moved away. The rapidly changing situation in the region comes after Progazin accused Russia's Ministry of Defense of attacking and killing his troops that were in Ukraine fighting against Ukrainian forces. Quote, The war was needed so that a handful of scumbags could have a blast and get PR attention, showing how strong the army is, he said. Quote, the war was needed not in order to return the Russian citizens to our bosom and not in order to demilitarize and de Ukraine. End quote. Wow. So what what he's doing here? He's going directly against the narrative. He's saying, Hey, no, Putin and the government, they are they don't care about the fact that there are a few Russian speaking people in Ukraine, which is or Russian loyal people within Ukraine, the Donbass, and in Crimea, and all these different areas that Russia has gone and said, no, no, we are just making sure that the Russian people come back to Russia. We are making sure that these people that want to be a part of Russia can be. We are going to support their freedom and their independence, which is one of the key narratives that Putin and his administration, his PR people, have put out there. You know, this Wagner guy is like, no, 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 no. That's highfalutin language. That is absolute BS. And no, he doesn't care about that. He saw a PR opportunity. He wanted to appear strong on the world stage. And maybe he would even argue that some of the defenses of, or the ministers of defense are saying, no, I just want war. I yeah, I just want to be able to invade another country. I'm really hungry for it. I want to show our power on the world stage. And it's it's interesting that he's coming out now. It took a attack on his own people for him to realize what's going on here or i take that back he probably had already realized but he was getting the benefits he was getting contracts from the russian government that said hey we need you to go in and help us in these situations and we're going to pay you very very heftily for your services but now that his people got attacked he realized okay Even if, even if it's worth getting the money for, even if giving up my morals because I don't necessarily agree with the cause is okay because we're getting paid and they're going to respect us and, you know, bring us into the fold of military operations, they don't actually respect us and they just attacked my own people. They just attacked the people that are trying to help them. No, this is outrageous. And something just snapped. It just broke in his mind. He's like, no, 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 I've no. I've known about what they're playing at here. I've known their game for a little bit. We're going to step back now. This is absolute BS. At least that's how I take it. Because to be clear, if you actually believed that this war was wrong from the beginning or even wrong after a little bit of time and this information came out, why would you keep doing it unless there was a provocation that really shifted your view, which is realizing that, no, no, the Russian government really doesn't care about you. They, You knew they didn't care about those other people, but you're like, oh, no, no, we're their favorites. They love us. It's okay. We're doing what they want. They're paying us a good amount of money. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, one of my units just got bombed. Okay, maybe I have to stop denying this. And that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he kind of had an awakening, like, no, we're not putting up with the BS anymore. So what kind of effect could this have within Russia? Is it going to last? Is it going to fall apart? Let's talk about that. Quote, Progezen said that he had 25,000 men who are going to, quote, figure out why chaos is happening in the country. Quote, the evil that the military leadership of the country brings forward must be stopped. They have forgotten the word justice, and we will return it, he said in audio recording. Anyone attempting resistance will be considered a threat and immediately destroyed. This includes all the checkpoints in our path and any aircraft above our heads. Russia's notorious Federal Security Service, FSB, which is per, per, was previously the KGB, responded by issuing an arrest warrant for Progazin. Quote, pro statements and actions are in fact calls for a start of an armed civil conflict on the territory of the Russian Federation and are a stab in the back of the Russian servicemen fighting pro-fascist Ukrainian forces. We love their little spin there, of course. They have to always make it about fascism, Nazism, so on and so forth. Quote, the FSB said in a statement, quote, we call on PMC fighters not to make irreparable mistakes to stop any forceful actions against the Russian people and not to carry out Progazan's criminal and treacherous orders and take measures to detain him. End quote. So they're of course saying, Hey, you better get your person in line, you arrest him, or else if you're complicit, we're coming for you too and we'll we'll see how this goes out. The reason I wanted to point this out is he has twenty five thousand men now some people are like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, twenty five thousand That's not enough for a civil war. He's not going to be able to take over. but remember this is a, a basically it is a paramilitary group. It's a private army, which means that they are constantly going from war zone to war zone. they're constantly training. It is literally their specialty to be good at war. Does that mean that they're going to succeed?" No, I mean for a long time, it was America's specialty at war, and we still got our butts whooped in multiple different conflicts. But the fact is that they are better at this than the conscripts of the Russian Federation for the most part. Now, do they have all the long-term leadership, like generals and the command structure? Maybe not. But they also have a lot of money that they've put into privately funding getting tanks. I mean, you heard that they came in with tanks which means they probably have anti-aircraft guns, which means they could take down fighters if the Russian government or the FSB decided that they should have a surveillance system. Maybe they could take down drones. I don't know. I don't know what necessarily the resources they are that they have at their disposal directly, but it logically follows that they're going to have some of the best technologies because they are a private military trying to push the boundary and really be good at what they do. So we'll see how all of this comes out. I think 25,000 men is not enough to stage a full civil war, but it is enough to cause concern, especially when they're so well-trained. And that's why they're trying to divide the ranks. That's why the FSB is saying, hey, 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 one, you'll be arrested if you go along with them, but two, hey, we'll give you some special favors. Maybe we'll appoint you to the head of the Wagner group if you, if you take out that guy, the, the number one. So they're trying to sow division within the ranks, and we'll see how it pans out. Keep your eye out for the story. it will probably be in the news every other day and then it will fade once the rumblings are no longer in favor of the Western narrative that R- Russia is a little bit destabilized right now. All right, so let's go to our second article from The American Prospect. The Republican attack on tenure. So tenure. This article brought up a interesting conversation. And, of course, I've had this mental conversation, this mental back and forth between one side of my brain and another about tenure. Well, okay, you know, tenure is a good thing because it gives professors job security. It gives them the ability to academically challenge the establishment because they don't have to worry about their opinion getting them put in hot water or them getting fired. But also, it provides a basically endless system. It really entrenches old ways of thinking. It provides a way for teachers to come into a position of power, hold it, and then wield it irresponsibly because they no longer have that fear. So what I'm saying is that fear of being chastised for speaking against the academy, that is a real one. But also the lack of fear that tenure provides and then becoming the part of the academia that wields that power to chastise other people and not necessarily be intellectually honest is another side to that coin. So the fear is a problem, but also to some degree it is essential in order to keep people from overstepping their bounds a little bit too much. And that's why I think it's a really hard question. So I wanted to bring up this article because I think it will allow us to at least start a conversation or give us multiple perspectives from which we can talk about a conversation about whether tenure is the right way to go forward. So, we're going to talk about the current situation. We'll go through a little bit of the history and then what can be done going into the future if we get to those quotes. But I really want to cover the current situation and the history of tenure. Quote At least five states governed by Republicans are attempting to end or weaken academic tenure. This is part of their ongoing war against liberal intellectuals accused of indoctrinating kids. Killing tenure would make it harder to recruit first-rate scholars to public universities in these states, some of which are world-class, including University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, the University of Texas at Austin, and Georgia Tech. The campaign has gone furthest in Texas, where the legislature very nearly passed a law abolishing tenure outright. The bill was championed by Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick after a group of faculty at UT Austin sponsored a resolution objecting to the legislature legislators' ban on the teaching of critical race theory in primary and secondary schools. Patrick's bill passed the state Senate in April, but in May the T- Texas House approved a more moderate bill making it easier to fire tenured professors and the Senate agreed to the House bill. So, Outright getting rid of tenure was on the table, but hey, the Texas House was like, whoa, 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 okay, relax here, relax here. There's a more nuanced discussion to be had here rather than outright saying that no, professors could be fired no matter the case. And the reason I think this is really important and the context we need to have here is tenure is important because it allows the universities to push back against interference from the outside. And it's actually a mechanism for the university to check itself because if the university has donors who don't like the way a certain professor is speaking, it doesn't like the certain message that a professor is putting out there, but that professor is tenured, then the university, even if they agree with the donor, can say has to say, no, no, we can't fire him because of tenure. And if the university disagrees with the donor... Then you know if it wants to be a little bit Machiavellian, you could say, "Oh well, we agree with you, sir. We don't. We want your money. Trust me." But he's tenured, so we can't actually get rid of him. And this is actually a very important part of the argument, which is tenure allows the unpopular opinion to be said without fright. It actually gives the not just the professor, but also the university, the ability to say, "No, no, he is tenure. We can't touch him with a ten foot pole." And whether we agree with them or not, that's not the point. It's about having different intellectual perspectives that are protected and don't feel that they have to be pressured into saying one thing or another. But then there's also the problem, which is the bar for tenure has become so high in different universities that very often teachers feel that they have to take on the mainstream opinion of academia in order to achieve tenure. And that is also one of the problems that this article is discussing here, especially in this section about the history of tenure. Quote, when tenure was invented in the late 19th century, donors to universities and some state legislators had been putting pressure on public universities to hire scholars from reformist views. In an epic case in ni- 1894, the Wisconsin legislator and business interests put pressure on the University of Wisconsin to fire the great progressive economist Richard Eli who advocated strikes and labor law to defend unions. But the university's board defended Eli, who kept his job. In 1915, the modern tenure system was codified by the American Association of University Professors and gradually adopted by nearly all universities. One key argument was that since college teachers were not paid as well as their counterparts in the private sector with comparable contentions, they would at least get job security and academic freedom fast forward a century tenure is not doing a great job of protecting academic freedom because increasingly scholars of a heterodox view never get tenure in the first place this leads to insidious pressure on young academics to pull their punches and accommodate to the orthodoxy which of course carries out which cries out for dissent End quote. So there's that interesting point that I brought up, which is in order to get tenure, you have to pull the party line, basically. And it's only later on that you would be able to truly speak your mind. Well, if you pull the t- party line for too much, you're actually your mind's going to change a little bit. You're going to be, become influenced by the pretending to be something else. I mean, you can fake it till you make it. The reason that faking it till you make it works is because you actually start to take on some of the habits that you're faking. If you fake being a more disciplined person, or, okay, Think of it this way. If you want to frame it like this, you're working out, you're trying to get better, you're trying to get healthier. If you start a habit of running every other day for a month and you had never done it before and you're telling yourself, oh, yeah, I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm not a runner, but I'm going to fake it until I make it. Eventually, you do become a runner. You take on certain characteristics of a runner. You're able to go a little bit further. If you fake it until you make it about being a humble person, maybe some of that humble mentality actually rubs off. And not false humility, but genuinely calling yourself out and trying to be humble in different situations. Maybe pretending or putting on the face of a person who is a little bit more generous, you actually become a little bit more generous. So in order to get tenure, these heterodox, these outside-the-norm professors are trying to put on that face of, No, no, I'm with you. I'm with the standard academia. And even if they were heterodox at one point, by the time they get tenure, they've lost a lot of that fire that was pushing them and making them different and actually making what they were saying interesting and a good reason to get the tenure in the first place. So it's an interesting cycle there. And also, I thought it was interesting that they said that you know in the private sector you make a sh- you make a lot of money you make a lot of money so for professors who don't necessarily have as much funds at their public university or even at private schools 10 years away to say hey we know that you're not getting paid as much but it's an incentive that the employer can give saying we will guarantee that we will keep you on staff because you are doing a great job and we think that your intellectual opinion needs to be taught here and we believe that you're saying something important or even not saying that they have radical ideas about certain things but even just saying we know that you are a good teacher you care about these students and because of everything you've done and all the work that you've put out there we're going to give you tenure so that you can stay here at this university feel secure it's kind of a cooperative it's a symbiotic thing hey we're going to give you tenure because we trust you We want you to accept tenure because obviously you care about this institution. So there's that interesting beauty of what tenure could be. But as they point out, tenure is not necessarily that. And there's the other one main aspect of this conversation that I brought up at the beginning. It is fear. There is a battle between how much fear a professor should have to feel in their job you notice here that, oh, it's about job security or it's about fear of not being the popular voice and not getting tenure. The, the, the underlying note here is that we, they have to balance the fear. They have to put in certain incentives that don't strip the professor of any responsibility or at least the repercussions of their actions, but also make sure that they're being responsible and not negligent. And I think that's a part of the conversation that needs to be had because that's the deeper underlying philosophical debate that needs to be had about the conversation, not just, oh, well, you know, know, tenure this, tenure that, and have a surface-level conversation where we're not actually going to address anything. We're going to come up with policy debate after policy debate that are temporary fixes rather than looking at the underlying core philosophical issue and trying to resolve that, not necessarily even through the legislator, maybe through some state... Uh, funds or the a public university or a university board or a group of universities coming together and saying, these are the new ways that we do tenure. So I think we should also look beyond the legislators to solve this. If colleges really want to solve this, they're either going to be forced by the legislator or they can get together and recognize the flaw and fix it themselves. They have some of the greatest minds, some of the greatest policy minds or at least writing minds, philosophical minds who could have a robust debate about it And let's be clear, they probably all come down on the side of tenure. Not all of them, but a lot of them would because they like the system of tenure. But maybe there are a few dissenting voices that could come together, start a conversation, and they could regulate themselves rather than having the government regulate them, which I think is a slippery slope. Because if you have the government saying, no, you cannot have tenure at your school, you cannot guarantee the person will have a job, then imagine the university who requires public funding Comes to the government's like, hey, hey, we need another grant for this amount of students this year. They're like, yeah, you know that professor who's tweeting out really mean things, or you know that professor who's tweeting out things that I just disagree with? Yeah, I need him to be fired. So that's why we don't want the legislator too involved in this process because it's just going to lead to cronyism, corruption, and I don't think it will end well. All right, so let's go to a really quick story from the Bitcoinist Global Crypto Market. Skyrocket as a Bitcoin price surpasses 30,000. What's behind the surge? So, when I first saw it went over 30,000, I was like, okay, there's a few things going on here. One, the Fed is releasing pressure on interest rates, meaning the entire stock market is going up, especially tech sector stocks. I take that back, not the entire stock market. A few of the bigger stock market companies are going large tech company stocks are going up because they just increase their revenue by cutting a lot of jobs. And we've noticed that to some degree Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is tied heavily with the tech sector because they're the ones that would best be able to actually utilize the technology that underlines Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies. At least that's part of the theory. That's part of my thinking that goes a little bit beyond the theory. And also because there's a Interesting shift in the market dynamics, and that's what I want to start with from the Bitcoinist. Quote, cryptocurrencies are witnessing an unprecedented capital influx in a shift in market dynamics. This influx comes amid several developments and updates in the crypto industry impacting Bitcoin and top cryptocurrencies. Leading the crypto market influx surge is Bitcoin, the world's largest crypto market. Over the past 24 hours, the asset has seen a huge leap in its price, pushing it above its previously traded 30000 mark. This surge has brought the asset surge to nearly 10% and the global crypto market value to 9.5% in the past day. So dynamics, what does it mean by market dynamics? It's kind of a fluctuating term. It kind of is a wiggle, not necessarily a wiggle word because it does mean something, but it's very broad. Basically, what they're saying is the circumstances on the ground, the underlying fundamentals, the parts that have gone into the market, they're changing. The dynamics are changing. Now, of course, they don't necessarily get into it here, but they do get into it within the next paragraph. And I think it's interesting, or at least it needs to be pointed out, why the dynamics are changing so drastically. And this is because of institutional support for cryptocurrency once again. Quote, the surge in Bitcoin and the influx of capital to the global crypto market can be attributed to BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager. Last week, this company filed for a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund, turning the narrative around the asset from fear and uncertainty to hope in clearer and clearer. Coupled with other significant developments, this move has spurred a surge of capital into the crypto market, particularly driving Bitcoin past an anticipated $30,000 mark. In addition to BlackRock's recent move towards the Bitcoin ETF, Invisco has also lodged a similar application. Meanwhile, WisdomTree and Deutsche Bank are making their mark with strategic actions in its Bitcoin ETF filing, and later via the filing for a crypto custody license, end quote. So basically, the big dogs are coming into town. They're like, okay, hey, this is a serious thing. It's been around long enough. We have enough trust in it. We're going to start taking advantage. What I think is very interesting, so there's threefold here. Let's be clear. Remember that Deutsche Bank got involved in the mortgage crisis. They actually created a subprime loan bond market or they at least created a division that was able to capitalize on the money they could make from that market so just because they're jumping in just because they see a way to make money doesn't mean that it's a completely legitimate form of doing so they all jumped in on subprime mortgage bonds but that doesn't mean that those bonds were fundamentally stable it just means that they saw an opportunity to make money in the short term. So just because they're jumping in doesn't necessarily mean that crypto is going to last. Oh, it's the next thing that even the big institutional investors are getting behind it. We know it's going to survive. No, we, we don't know that for sure. They see an opportunity to make money. And the pure fact that they're pouring more money into it in the nature of cryptocurrency is, oh, okay, so the price is going to go up. Now, it doesn't mean it's a long-term thing, but it's a possibility. Also, I think it's very interesting that you've seen BlackRock and a lot of these other companies, a lot of them have created ETFs or created a little roar about what they're doing after you see some of the largest decreases in prices of Bitcoin ever. Now, it's a little bit conspiratorial, but imagine this. They're looking at Bitcoin and they're like, oh my gosh, it's at 60000 Oh my. Well, we can't have that. So we're going to you know, lambast it. We're going to say, we don't know what we're doing. Market confidence is going to fall. Eventually, it'll fall. You know, it'll dip. And it went down to 40-some. And then they said, oh, yes, we're launching an ETF. And the price started to climb up a little bit. And then they were like, ah, it's a little too high. Let's sell. Let's sell. Let's make our money from where we bought in. And then as it fell again, now when it's at its low point again, they're like, okay, now we can say that we're putting in money again. We're going to basically artificially jack up the price of Bitcoin and then we could sell at a high again and drown the market or maybe we'll just keep it this time and see if we can ride it out to 60,000. So you know, I think that there's not necessarily market manipulation, but it's interesting. And maybe there is some strategy behind it. That's more than just Oh, we believe in this asset. But no nah, we can make a little bit of extra money if we play around at the right time. And we try to boost its reputation while it's at some of its lows while we bought at a really good price. Maybe, maybe. That's me being conspiratorial. But it is interesting to see Bitcoin go over 30000 again. And it actually crossed below. So this article was a few days ago. It actually crossed below for a little bit, but then broke past that $30,000 barrier again, which was re- really reassuring to investors. It shot up that day, and it's been kind of stagnant ever since. But it hasn't bro- broke back down or under that 30000 since then, at least as far as I'm aware, which is a positive sign for some investors. They're going to say if it holds about a week, then we'll probably invest a little bit more. Or let's be honest, if they're watching it that closely, they're probably investing a little bit every day. They're, doing, they're purchasing every day and they're averaging across in order to spread the expenses out a little bit. All right, let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from Laughing Squid. Disabled ducks find a lifelong friend in each other. You know those stories about people who find someone, you know, that one person or that one friend in rehab or at the old person's home? Well, it appears there's a commonality among humans and these little ducklings. Quote, moose and mumbles are an adorable pair of disabled ducks who can swim but cannot walk, having formed an incredible lifelong bond of friendship with each other. They both live here with us at the sanctuary in southern central Pennsylvania, where they were rescued for farm as farm animals and they live their lives in safety and comfort, end quote. I mean, they even watch TV together and these cute little adorable actually, I'll just read the quote here, quote they even have their own inflatable baby baths where they sit inside sit beside one another as they eat and watch cartoons end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos of these guys or read any of today's articles, you can find the link in the description below that like and subscribe button also down there there's the link to the podcast on spotify pocketcast google podcast as well as podvine and there's the twitter handle at your daily flip give it a follow and we over there i do twitter tirades on tuesday and thursday they are twitter exclusive content about 10 minutes not scripted no quotes just kind of rants about what's going on books that i've been reading ideas that have been bouncing around in this big dumb head of mine all right With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.